So we're going to continue in 1 Peter. You know we're walking our way through 1 Peter. I don't know if we have any visitors today. Yeah, we do. We've got a few visitors that are with us today. Um, so there's no way I can go back and rehash everything. But I will kind of take us back to the beginning and, and hit a couple of highlights. But uh, man, 1 Peter, I've said it probably three or four times now. It's just doing a good work in, in my heart. I hope that it is yours as well. So let me pray, and then we're going to just open up our Bibles and, and look back before we look forward. So let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, uh, your name alone is strong and powerful. Lord, I said it this morning before we came in here in a, a separate prayer time, but this next breath that we pray is a gift from you, as is all of life and all of relationships. Lord, you've revealed yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and through your Word, O oh God. And we step into this space on Sunday mornings, and there's a lot going on. Lord, there's relationships, and there's work, and there's pain, and physical pain, and mental pain, and Lord, there's financial pain, and just everything else. And we need to be reminded that we're exiles and sojourners and that we have hope, a living hope, and that's why we're here. Lord, so thank you for that. And I pray, oh God, that all of that other stuff, that we'll just take it and put it over to the side and that our hearts and our minds will be focused on what does this word say? What does it mean? And how can I apply it to my life? And God, I pray that my words that can sometimes trip up what your word says would just quickly fall to the ground and only your word will remain because that's what we need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, let's do this. Let's just open them up. Let's just go to 1 Peter. And yes, I'm going to walk us through a specific passage today, but it's good if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone or, or whatever uh, just pull it up and let's take a look back. Um, I told my family last night, I said, I think I've gone over the sermon at that time. I think he had been seven times. And on the seventh time, I made like 12 pretty major changes to it. And I'm like, that's not good. That's not a good sign. And, and right now I'm doing it again. Right. So we're going to like skip some of the introduction that I have because I really want you to see it in the word of God. So go to first Peter. And let's just walk through it, and then I'll catch up with my notes at some point in time. Okay, so if we go to the beginning, just take a glance at 1 Peter chapter 1. We're reminded there's a living hope, and we're reminded of gospel, gospel, gospel. Okay, we hit that really hard for about three weeks. Um, Adam Stein stepped in. He jumped into verse number 13 and uh, following. And there was this call, because of what Christ has done... We are called to be holy, to be separate, to be different from the people of this world. And I've said he could have called us out of the world once we came to faith in Christ. He didn't. He left us here. And it says in this passage, I don't remember the exact verse, you can find it. But he says so that we can declare the excellencies of him who called us. Okay? So we're here to be holy, to be different. And we're going to continue with that theme today. And then he steps into some pretty 
specific ways that we are to do so. For, for example, look at chapter 2, just the first couple of verses that are there. He says, so, you know, there's that therefore, because of everything that I've said, because of what Jesus has done, because of the call to holiness, because you represent the holy God, your conduct needs to be different. He says, so put away this malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and instead of like going and feeding those things, desire the sincere milk of the word of God because that's the only way that you're going to grow up in your salvation. This dependence upon the word of God. There's always an asterisk there that I say, if you struggle with reading the word of God, there's a reason for that. The enemy and your flesh does not want you to have word of God intake because they know the power that's there. Therefore, when you're like, man, I would rather do anything than read the word of God right now, pray and go read it anyway, because that's how you will grow up in your salvation. And, and then he lays out this you know, the, this overview back to the gospel. Jesus is your cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation of your faith. And the enemy wants to put a crack in that. Is the word of God really the word of God? Did God really say? Did he create the way that it says that he created? Can we really trust, you know, all of these things? Is he really coming back? Does he really know me, love me, care for me? And in this situation that I'm in, does the Lord even care about that at all? And if you put a crack in that, then all of your foundation falls apart. And Peter's saying, no, Jesus is the cornerstone. And he says, and, and you are a different people now. You used to be someone else, but now you look at verse number nine. You are now a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. And there's the passage. Look at it. Verse number uh, 9b, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And here's what I want you to see. Go look at verse number 11. And he says, I urge you, I urge you because you're now sojourners and exiles. That is a theme. We've seen it from the beginning. We're going to continue to see it. You're a sojourner and you're an exile. Just need to say that to yourself every day when you get up and you walk through this world. This is not my life. It is my life. But this is not my world. This is not my home. My citizenship is elsewhere. I'm a sojourner and I'm an exile. And he says, because of that, keep on looking at it, you are to abstain, to stay away from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. And then, and this is so critical, if you miss this next verse, you're going to miss today's sermon and you're going to miss next week's sermon. You're going to miss what he's trying to say. Look at verse number 12. He says, therefore, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. And he's talking about unbelievers here, honorable, so that when they see your conduct, they're going to realize you really are holy and you really are different. So last week, I gave this kind of an overview we won't go through it in detail, but ways to abstain from the flesh, we said we renew our minds. You know, I use Romans 12, 1 and 2 as, as a great reference there. We avoid danger zones when I'm stressed, when I'm in an argument, when it's late at night, when I'm on this road instead of this road. What, is the, what are the wisdom um, applications for us to make sure that we're living as holy people because the enemy knows where our danger zones are, and we need to avoid those as we're growing up in our salvation so that we will not trip up. Talking to a, um, a dear brother yesterday or the day before, I can't remember. It's been a, a weird couple of days, but I remember him 
um, on the phone saying, to be honest with you, I was just ticked off at the enemy because of what he was trying to do. I knew that it was going to happen, and I saw it happen, and it just made me mad. And I was like, yes, that's what we want. That's what we need. We need some angry young men and women who love Jesus and who see the flesh for what it is and see the tactics of the enemy. And not only are we trying to defend ourselves and guard our hearts and guard our minds, but we're on the offensive because we're over it. We're over it. We need angry young men and angry young women that are fighting the enemy. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, renew your minds, avoid these danger zones. And I gave this third one, which is replace the passions of the flesh with the passions of the spirit. So don't just be like, oh, no, I need to stay away from this and I need to stay away from that. Replace that with something good and honorable. Be hospitable. Go love someone. Go care for someone that is in need. Go share your story of what Jesus has done with someone who needs to hear that. And then we asked a couple of questions. Am I being wise in my attempts to abstain from the passions of the flesh? Are you being wise? Am I being wise? The second question was, would the unbelievers, unbelievers in my life say that my conduct is actually honorable? Does my conduct point to a supernatural change in my heart and in my life? That's why we're here. That's what Peter's saying. And that's why I say you have to go back to verse number 12 to say, he's saying, stay away from these things. You're a sojourner. You're an exile. You're to be holy. People of this world need to see that you're different. And because of that, no matter what crud that they've done, no matter how big their sin is, and matter what, no matter what their struggle is, they can see that they have hope. Because if Sam Adams can change that much, then there has to be a holy, mighty God because he was a scoundrel. That's not true toward Sam. Well, it is. I guess it's true toward all of us. But it's true. And if people can't see this metamorphosis, 2 Corinthians 5.17 would call it a new creation. I was this person and now I'm this person. And it impacts the way I respond in this world. And if people can't see that, then they're going to be like, he's religious. She's religious, but lots of people are religious. But I don't necessarily see a change when someone ridicules them or when they get written up or, you know, fill in the blank for any kind of scenario that might come against us and our flesh should respond. I don't really see any difference. They respond the same way that everyone else does. And Peter's saying, God is saying, shouldn't be that way. We should be different. We should be holy. Our conduct should be honorable. Got that? Okay, that's introduction. Now let's go look at the passage together. So today we're picking up in 13 through 25. 13 through 25 is a large passage. We started to break this out into a couple of sermons, but we just can't because it all actually fits together. So let me say this. This is going to be less technical. So we're not going to like break down and kind of hit a lot of specific words and look at their meanings. There's no way that we can do that. But I want you to get a general kind of a gist and overview of what Peter was trying to, is trying to say to us in this passage. And if you want to look at some additional implications or if you want to kind of break down the specifics, we can, we can do that over coffee. Okay. Word of God, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 25. Let's read it. This is the word of God. 
be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should silence or put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the Gentile, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer it for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one or to him who judges justly. And then verses 24 and 25 he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's a long passage. There's a lot that's in here. If you were here for sermon prep this past Monday. And I encourage you, come. Four o'clock on Mondays. We just read the word. We dig into it. We mark it up and then we talk about it. And this is probably the 15th time I've said this, but it's my favorite hour of the week. Yeah, it's just so good. So I encourage you to come. But we said, just notice, there's no chapter two heading or chapter three in the original manuscripts. Okay, this was one letter. So you can't get to chapter two and say, ah, new subject. This has nothing to do with what we talked about in chapter one. Chapter three, oh, this is a new subject. It has nothing to do with what we talked about in chapter two. It all fits together. That's why we do this kind of look back, look at what we've said, look at what we've heard, because if we miss that, passages like today's, and especially passages like next week's when we're talking about husbands and wives, it'll really trip you up. The interpretation, the understanding, the context of what Peter is saying is so important. Otherwise, you'll see, oh, this is, these are the things we can do, we can't do, and so on and so forth. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying in response to God's gospel call on our lives, our behavior must be different. It must be. 
The things of this world, which we talked about last week, this lust of the flesh, it's just anything that the world has to offer. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those things will always be there. That's where all the temptations will flow. And he's saying you must not go after those in the same way that the world does. They will never satisfy. And he's saying that those lusts of the flesh, they war against our souls. Why is Peter urging us to abstain again before we step in? Because we live amongst unbelievers. Our conduct, hear me, has the power has the power to show these unbelievers that the gospel is real and that Jesus is alive. But that'll only happen when our behavior is different, holy, and honorable. Now that's not easy, and that's the point, and we'll look at that. But that's where we're going. So Peter's main point, A, our behavior amongst the lost people must be different. And B, our behavior has the opportunity, the potential to actually point them to Jesus. That's the preface. That's the foundation for everything that he'll say moving forward. So today, when we look at this passage, I'll break it down. And here's kind of where we're going. In verses 13 through 17, we're going to see these charges. First charge, show honor to all authorities in our lives. Okay? Okay. Verses 18 through 20, show honor um, even when treated poorly. 21 through 23, be willing to suffer well with Christ as our example. Verses 24 and 25, relinquish our rights to our behavior by entrusting ourselves to the one who oversees our souls. Now, that's where we're going. That's what the passage is saying. So let's go back to the beginning. Because Maria Van Trapp would say it's a very good place to start. Verses 13 through 17. The first charge, show honor to all authorities in our lives. I put in red a couple of the things I want to jump off the page. And he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be the emperor or governors. And he says, for this is the will of God, that by doing so, you would silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So by way of introduction, he starts off by saying that we are to be subject for the Lord's sake, to every institution. When he says be subject, that word means be subordinate to, obey, to be placed under, to submit to, to pl place or arrange under, or to be obedient to. To whom are we to subordinate, to obey, to be placed under, or to submit to? And he says every human institution. The thing I love about Peter is the same thing I love about James. They don't pull any punches. They just kind of get right to the point. There's, there's some pretty absolutes in the things that they declare to us. Yeah, every institution. And you can see why verses like this one, 
verses like next week's can sometimes just, uh, they just rub us the wrong way. We're not really sure how to respond to this because we live in a world where we know that there are many institutions amongst us that are anything but just and fair. Many that are deceiving and that are conniving. Many that use people for their own ends. Many who even mistreat people under them. And many of us have experienced what we would call dishonorable or unjust or even cruel institutions. But he's saying in this passage that we're to be subject to them for the Lord's sake. And then he goes on to say, this is the will of God. Well, that's hard to argue with now, isn't it? So Romans 13, a complimentary passage, says it this way. Another lengthy passage, but we need to read it and hear it. Verses 1 through 4, he says, let every person, here it is again, be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. You see that? There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. That can be a hard pill to swallow. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and then you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant, Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, fill in the blank of your least favorite emperor or president. He's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he's a servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I know, I know, this is, that's tough. But what we need to remember is that God in his sovereignty is always in control. No one comes to power in any situation without the sovereign Lord's will being done. Nothing surprises him, and he sees the bigger picture. In CBR, we've been in Exodus, and we see how God uses Pharaoh to bring about his purposes. There are things there that we do not understand and that theologically we cannot explain well, but we can see very clearly that God allowed Pharaoh to come into power. That was in his sovereign will. And hear me on this, church. Sometimes God allows these unjust leaders in our lives And it is related to our personal sanctification because Christianity is designed to be supernatural. And we forget this. Christianity is belief in the gospel and that this Jesus who is dead, who is very much now alive and who has ascended into heaven and he conquered death, he conquered sin and he conquered the grave once for all and now he comes back and he lives within, church, hear me on this, and I know I say this a lot, but he lives within you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you and therefore his divine power has given to you what you need to live a godly and a holy life, a supernatural response. And sometimes hard situations 
unjust leaders are put in front of us because really it is a part of our sanctification so that we'll learn to subject ourselves to the one who is the overseer of our soul and to trust him despite the pain or even the persecution. However, sometimes the authority in our life is there because God is setting the stage for some greater purpose that has nothing or very little to do with us personally. God does so to bring about his will in the lives of others or in this world. Your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And sometimes as he orchestrates these things and we're in the middle and we think, why is he doing this to me? Why did he allow this particular leader? And really it had nothing to do with me. Right. And it had nothing to do with you. Biggest lesson in my life that I'm still learning and it's not completely clear to me, it's actually not all about me. Has anybody been learning this lesson with me? And what a surprise, I thought it was all about me. And it's really not. It's for the Lord's sake. Our submission to unholy, poor leadership is actually his will. And that's what chapter two, and that's what chapter three is pointing to, that there's these situations where we've got to be different. We can't be like the world. We will learn to work hard even when no one's watching. We won't whine or complain when things don't go our way or when leadership makes a decision that we don't like or a law is enacted that we just disagree with and so on and so forth. And when we respond differently, honorably, as sojourners and exiles who's entrusting ourselves to God and looking for a world greater than this, but when our behavior is different than the world, people around us will see it and it'll point to Christ and even those leaders will take notice. I am sure if we pass the mic at this point, you know, you would see people that would um, be able to stand up and give examples of times with a horrible boss or whatever, that they responded in a spirit-filled, supernatural way and how someone made note of that. I mean, I've had that happen. I know you, some of you have had that happen as well, where then someone says, hey, can we talk? Because I would be fuming in that situation, but you just seem full of peace and joy. And you just took it, and you just got a good attitude. What in the world is that all about? Well, we point him to Christ. Sometimes we don't do well with that. And we should re repent where we don't. We must do better, and that's what he is telling us. Declare his excellencies with your words, but also with your behavior. And that includes to how we respond to unjust situations. But in this passage, it's unjust institutions. Now, exceptions. I have to just hit on this briefly. A great study would be to go through the word of God and look at exceptions to this subject yourself to every human institution principle. For example, think of Daniel's example. 
he showed great respect to King Nebuchadnezzar, but he wouldn't bow down to him. Even if it cost him his life, he was willing to lay down his life, but he was still respectful to King Nebuchadnezzar. But his allegiance was to God. Do you see that? Another example, I think about the apostles that were out sharing the gospel in Acts chapter 6, and they're reprimanded, and the leaders are like, okay, well, we got to let you guys go, but you're not allowed to share the gospel anymore. And they charged them not to teach in Jesus' name. And Peter's response was, we must obey God rather than men. They weren't disrespectful to those leaders, but they understood where their allegiances lie. They, they were subjecting themselves to God first and foremost. And if there are situations where an authority in our life tries to encourage us or charges us to do something that is inconsistent with the clear teaching of the word of God, we must choose the word of God. We must follow Christ. But even then, we need to be respectful in the, we, the way we go about doing it. Do you see that? That's the difference. And that's hard. That is supernatural. So if Peter's first charge is to show honor to all authorities, this is in your worship guide if you're filling in blanks, by the way. If Peter's first charge is to show honor to all authorities in our lives, then maybe a simple question number one would be, who are the authorities in my life? And do I really show honor to each of them? Who are they? And do I show honor to them? And he says each. That's the mandate. And I know that within the current uh, workforce climate and the political system, charges like these from Peter, which are actually from God to us, they can be hard, but he reminds us it's for the Lord's sake. Because the greater thing that's happening is this world is going to be gone and souls will live for in eternity. And we can point them to the hope of the gospel by these supernatural responses that we have in really, really hard situations. So let's keep going. So look at verse number 18. The second charge would be show honor even when treated poorly. Servants, be subject to your masters, look at this, with all respect. How many times have we been disrespectful to an authority in our lives? No condemnation here. You know, we're, we're forgiven through Christ. But he's saying with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, he says, but also to the unjust. And he says, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin or beaten for it, you endure, but when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This section starts off by saying, servants, be subject to your masters. And on October the 24th, in an Ephesians passage, it was Ephesians 6, uh, 5 through 9, very similar passage. Uh, we discussed 
and you know, we serve one another out of reverence for Christ, but we discuss the relationships that exist on this earth, and we went into detail talking about masters and servants, and we talked about slavery. And if you want to go back and listen to that, you can find it online, and it is October the 24th sermon. Okay, so there is a distinction here that you probably need to understand when it says masters and servants. We covered that not that long ago. You can go online and you can listen to that sermon. But back to First Peter, we see in this passage a call to not only a supernatural response to those overseeing us, but even a more, new word, a more supernatural-er response whether that be slaves, masters, employees, to employers, citizens, to governing officials. Yes, supernatural is a new word. I will give that to Webster's this afternoon. And how does that make you feel, Sam, the English teacher? Does that make you cringe? You're cringing, aren't you? I know you are. So a supernatural response, let's say, here's an example. A supernatural response would be to not retaliate when an enemy comes against us, right? That's supernatural. A more supernatural-er response would be, and I know that that's terrible grammar, would be not only to not retaliate, but to pray for them, to love them, to be kind to them. That's different. You can't do that. I can't do that. But Christ in us can do that with all respect to the unjust that is indeed very supernatural that sounds better is it easy gosh no and it's not supposed to be if it's easy then we get the credit and we get the glory for that if it's hard if it's impossible in our own strength his grace is sufficient and his power is perfected in our weaknesses. Therefore, when I am weak, then I am strong so that Christ would be glorified. I not only don't retaliate, but I'm going to put them on my prayer list and I am going to pray for them. Because how miserable must they be in this world to treat people the way that they do? I'm just caught up in that cycle. But the truth of the matter is, they really need Jesus. And I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to pray blessings upon them. Even when suffering unjustly, even when we are punished for it. It's the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, go back and look at the Sermon on the Mount and you're going to see this call to meekness to being pure of heart, merciful, being willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake, to still rejoice and to be glad, to not become angry or retaliate. Instead, through Christ choosing to love and to pray for people that might be considered our enemies. It's beyond our abilities. Peter is pointing us to the hope of the gospel on a daily basis in really hard situations that each of us will encounter in this world. And when we don't respond in a wholly different than the world fashion, when we do whine like others or are lazy or we do retaliate or we do show disrespect, 
it shows them or it tells them, then we're no different than anyone else. They may say, yes, he or she is religious. I will say that because they talk about church. They quote scripture from time to time. But I work closely with him. I work closely with her. And when our boss is unjust or cruel or whatever, or our president does this or that or the other, they act just like everybody else does. And what they're saying there is, in their minds, even if they don't articulate it, I don't know that Christianity is even real. Because they're just like we are. And when we hear that, it should cause us to be uncomfortable because we will recognize that many times we have personally failed. This is why we come together on a Sunday morning and stay in the word because the word of God speaks to these things. And by his grace, he enables us an opportunity to repent and to repent well. When we repent well, we not only say we're sorry and we believe the gospel, but we call upon this living Christ to change our behavior moving forward. So, if Peter's second charge is to show honor even when treated poorly, then a simple question number two would be, to each of us, including Pastor Jerry, how do I respond? How do you respond when you are treated poorly or unjustly? When we do respond appropriately, he says it's a gracious thing in God's eyes. The meaning of gracious here is esteemed, it's a gift. It's a special manifestation of the divine presence. It's a blessing. It's all of that and more. And it's the word charis, which is also the name of Joshua Hubbard and Jana Hubbard's youngest daughter. It's a beautiful word and it has beautiful meaning. And he's saying it's a gracious thing in the eyes of God when he sees his children responding in a broken, fallen world in a way that points people to Jesus's resurrection and that he is alive and that he is empowering his people that's an act of grace when we can forgive in the same manner that we have been forgiven god forgive us of our debts in the same manner that we forgive those who sin against us that's the call it's a call to believe the gospel and appropriate the gospel in supernatural ways. And that's the direction that the rest of this passage and all of next week is going to take us to. Have a look. The next charge. Be willing to suffer well with Christ as our example. He's showing us, I'm not calling you to do something that Jesus hasn't already done. He says, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you. He's leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He is our example, and the response he's calling us to is what we call a gospel-centered response. We use this term, and we're not always clear with it, but we're a gospel-centered church. Oh, okay, so they believe the gospel. No, yes, of course we believe the gospel, but a gospel-centered church means we're taking the gospel and the truths of the gospel and the implications of the gospel holistically, and we're looking at how they apply in every relationship and every situation in our lives. That's what gospel-centered means, and that's what his call here to us is. It's a supernatural response because it shows that Jesus not only died for our sins, but he lives in the life of believers and when done graciously and done consistently, it's beautiful in his eyes and it points to him. There's a phrase that's here. This is just a sidebar. It says, in his steps. There's a great little book. Every once in a while, I'll throw out a book for you to read. This one's called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. If you like to read, this one's a novel um, but it takes this idea of what does it look like if we responded in the same way that Jesus did? It's actually where we got the WWJD bracelets that came from that book. What would Jesus do? In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. Kids, you all would love it. I can promise you, you ought to read it. Okay. Next charge. Entrust ourselves or our rights to our behavior by entrusting ourselves to the one who now oversees our soul. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we've been healed. We were straying like sheep, but we've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. I think I could spend the whole sermon and maybe a whole series just talking about this phrase, shepherd and overseer of our souls. I just love that. I remember seeing that in 2011. I remember that for various reasons. And it grabbed a hold of my heart. And I hung my hat there almost on a daily basis. I would cry out to and I would pray to this Jesus who is the overseer of my soul. I'm so glad that he's our shepherd. And I'm so glad that he is the overseer of our soul. But this idea of suffering well is the theme that runs all the way out through 1 Peter. We're going to continue to see suffering and suffering well, but we do so by following Christ's example and entrusting ourselves, no matter what the situation, the righteous shall live by faith. And we say, God, this is hard. This is unjust. This hurts. This is painful. I choose by faith to entrust myself to the one who is my shepherd and the overseer of my soul. And that leads to our final charge and our final question of the day which is this. So this is in your worship guide. So if the final charge is, it's a little wordy. I tried to do better with my charges and my truths, but this one I couldn't. Following Christ as our example, we are to apply the gospel to all authority relationships by, entrusting is the word, entrusting ourselves to the one who oversees our souls. If that's the third 
charged for us, then the final question might be, how am I doing in applying the gospel to authoritative relationships in my life? It's a good question. The greater question would be, how would others say that I'm doing? How would my neighbor, my wife, my coworker, and so on and so forth? If we interview those people, how would they say that I'm doing? Would they say, Jesus is alive and well. He has risen from the dead because this joker responds in ways that are supernatural. I don't get it. He's got me questioning faith. He's got me questioning Christianity because same situation, same leader, same authority figure. I see it. I feel it. And it makes me angry. But I see him praying for this person. I see him still working hard. He shows up on time. He does his best because it's the Lord Christ he's serving, not the authority figure. And when people see that, when they see that he acts like, He's a sojourner. He's in exile. He's like got something else to live for. It makes them wonder if the gospel is true. Can the world see the gospel by my actions or by my lack of retaliation or by my keeping my mouth shut when it really wants to say things? Am I proclaiming his excellencies in ways that are just more supernatural-er than people have ever seen. The stakes are high, but that's what he's calling us to. The truth of the gospel is on display in the way that we live our lives to a lost and dying world. If we miss that, context, then we miss what Peter is calling us to. My prayer this morning is that God would give us collectively the grace to see that call. And I said it a moment ago, to repent well where we need to and to be filled with his spirit to be reminded that we are exiles and that we are sojourners and the grace to move forward by abiding in the vine of Christ in honorable, holy, uncharacteristic, unimaginable, supernatural ways because Jesus has changed us from the inside out. So that, and so much so, that our coworkers, neighbors, family members, or whomever would be drawn to the gospel. That's the call. There's so much in this passage. So much that I didn't even get to. I'd love to discuss like this passage, like how does this apply to politics when you've got a president that you think is crazy? Not that that's happened ever in America, but if it did, how would we respond? I think that those are really, really good coffee discussions, but I think that those are discussions that need to take place. 
I don't think Christians have handled these things well and in a manner that is honorable to God and it's in, in a supernatural fashion. I think sometimes we've allowed our flesh to get into the way and Peter's direct. He's saying every institution, we must do better. We must have kingdom perspective. Next week, we get to look at how this applies to husbands and wives. And that'll be fun. Sam, you want to preach next week? <laughs> I did that to you back in Ephesians, didn't I? It wasn't intentional, but you keep on throwing me under the bus talking about it. The call is to holy living to be radically different. Let's close by doing this. Let's go back, read the passage, hear the passage in its totality, and we've decided, the elders met this morning, we're not actually passing the mic this morning. We just want to let it sit in. Just let it sit there. Take what you're hearing and just take it to the Lord this morning. And then we're going to worship. And as these things continue to hit your mind and hit your heart, reach out to somebody and let's think how we apply this gospel truth in our lives moving forward. Hear the word of God. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as seen by him to, or sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So good. Let's bow. Thank you for this challenging word. Stir our hearts, O oh God. Show us what we need to see. Give us ears to hear where we need to hear. May our confessions be like throwing our crowns before you and recognizing that you alone are holy. And the only opportunity that we have for this holy supernatural response is that this Jesus who rose from the dead would just take over our lives so that Christ would be glorified and so that the world would see it and be drawn to the truth of the gospel.